my father was a true classic rock and roller, you know, Stones, Beatles, uh, Presley, you know, the Who, all the Dylan, all the classic, classic greats. And so he played a lot of music and he also took us to a lot of shows at a very young age. I remember, I think my first concert was actually Harry Chapin. I was probably three or five years old. Um, I remember being in grade school and going to a CSN concert and my mother made us leave because there was too much pot smoke (laughs) in the air and we were very young. Um, So he, I always associate, you know, my early feelings about listening to the radio and rock music with my father, who I was always, you know, very close to um, and really enjoyed that. Um, Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is a new online friend, a photographer, a uh, passionate Springsteen fan, and uh, Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so uh, tell us a little about yourself. Let's let's start out with your elevator pitch. Um, I uh, I am a recovering lawyer, as I like to say, um, who is now a photographer. I love um, that. <laughs> I uh, I practiced law for about a dozen years, working um, in state government here in Washington State, um, and uh, about ten years ago. Um, after my husband died suddenly, I decided um, I was going to have a new way of uh, doing things in life and took some time. And uh, to my surprise and everybody who knew me, I became a sports and action photographer, even though I had neither played sports um, nor really was a photographer before that. So that is, uh, that's what I do now out here in the Pacific Northwest why why photography what what happened so photography actually um i came to me i took a class about four or five months after my husband passed um and i found that it was really something that when i was doing it um that i felt okay um and it helped me in my my grief, which was, as you might imagine, was pretty intense. Uh, he was young, he was only 45. Mm. And um, it, it allowed me to be out in the world doing things and still around people, um, but also was sort of a shield for me. I could, I could be there and I had a, a, a function behind the camera, but I didn't really have to interact with people if, if I wasn't able to. And that's really kind of where the sports came in because it's a very... Um, in some ways you're removed from interacting with people a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and you're observing people doing things that they enjoy. So that was very joyful to me. Uh, sort of helped me, it helped me bridge my way back to the world after his death. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, uh, did, um, you, you mentioned you weren't a big sports fan to begin with. No, no, I, I, I was not. And I got into uh, sports photography because a, a co-worker of mine um, was on a roller derby team. Okay. And, which was very big out here. And uh, she had me come photograph her roller derby team. And it turns out that um, I was just actually really good at action photography. And then I got into all the high school sports and equestrian events. And I do a lot of um uh, acrobats and and anything. I always joke if it moves, I photograph it. That's kind of how it's been. Do you, so I, I've had some friends who are photographers, and you know, especially a lot of 
you know, portraits, like they're doing senior pictures. They're doing, you know, one of my, um, one of my son's closest friends, you know, uh, mom, when I needed a new official photo for LinkedIn, you know, she, come on, Jesse, let's make some photos and everything. Um, so how do you get gigs taping pictures of people doing gymnastics and, and riding horses? Um, you know, I'm really lucky The where I live, I live in Olympia. So that's the capital city. And because I'd worked in the legislature for so long, I actually had a really extensive community. Okay. And I always say everything I've ever gotten in my life as a photographer is because somebody opened a door for me, had a friend who said, Hey, you should come photograph this. Um, like mm -hmm. the horse shows. I had a friend whose daughter rode horses. Um, same with high school sports, people who knew me from doing roller derby said, hey, she's a great photographer. You should have her come to the high school sports. Um, it's a small kind of tight knit community out here. And mm -hmm. what's really nice is as long as you're a nice person and you do good work, people will open the door for you. It's There's not a whole lot of gatekeeping. So I was very lucky just to have a lot of community support. So you saying that if you're a nice person brings up one of my favorite um, stories. I don't know if you know who Neil Gaiman is. I do, of course. Okay. You know, he did a, um, a graduation speech, yes. and, you know, called Make Good Art. I don't know if you're familiar with the book. I am. Yes. Yes. And uh, for listeners, if you haven't, um, it, it is, it is, the speech was so good that they published it into a book. But one of his points was, and I talk about this all the time at my job, um, you need to be, you need to be talented. You need to hit deadlines and you need to be easy to work with. But he says, the reality is you only need to be two out of three to be successful. If you're easy to work with and you have talent, they don't care if you're late. If you're easy to work with and you're on time, maybe they'll take a little less quality, right? If you're going to be a SOB, you better be on time and you better have high quality. And I, I bring that a lot up when I'm mentoring um, at my business life. Like, you know, yes, if you can get two out of three, it's good. But how much better would you be as an employee, as a teammate, if you could do all three? So I, I, I love that story that, you know, um, not only are you talented, but you're easy to work with, which makes it much easier, right? Absolutely. And I think a lot of those skills I had to use as a lawyer working in state yeah. politics, and they, they do transfer over, like you said, to other aspects of life, just, you know, being a decent person and pleasant to be around and working hard and being humble. Yeah. And and doing good work. And it's been it's been a good life to me. I also do a lot of documentary photography in my community. Um, and so it's been it's been a pretty good 10, 10 years, actually. So, Joe, do you do you miss the drama of politics at all? Um, I get asked that a lot, and the answer is really no. I don't. Um, you. Uh, it it it's really really a stressful, and um, for me, who's am somewhat of a sensitive person, yeah, um, it's a pretty harsh environment and a pretty unhappy environment, and. Um, I think when I was doing the work, I was pretty stressed out. I think I'm a much easier person to be around mm -hmm. now. Um, I'm a pretty chill person now, but nobody would have described me that way 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still friends with a lot of people and I did a lot of good work. I worked on criminal justice and mental health and um, I feel like I had a good run. I, I do miss some of the, that camaraderie and those particular people but I, I don't miss that that 24-7 pace. And in the last 10 years, I think it's only gotten, as you can imagine, a little more difficult. Yeah. Um, so now I get to walk my dogs in the morning and I get to take my lunches at home and keep my own hours. And um, it's a much easier life now. Well, good. Well, um, I always like to start at the beginning, though I warned you that we will go off on tangents. Sure. Um, Talk about growing up. Where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to 
when you were a little one? So I was born in the DC area, but spent most of my growing up uh, outside Chicago. Okay. Um, so I am, you can maybe hear a little bit of my Chicago accent coming out, <laughs> coming out sometimes. Um, and, you know, my father, I was, cause I was thinking about this question. My father was a true classic rock and roller, you know, Stones, Beatles, uh, Presley, you know, the Who, all the Dylan, all the classic, classic greats. And so he played a lot of music and he also took us to a lot of shows at a very young age. I remember, I think my first concert was actually Harry Chapin. Oh, and very nice. I was probably three or five years old. Um, I remember being in grade school and going to a CSN concert and my mother made us leave because there was too much pot smoke in the air and we were very young. Um, so he, I always associate, you know, my early feelings about listening to the radio and rock music with my father, who I was always, you know, very close to um, and really enjoyed that. Um, so I, I know I remember um, being 12 years old and going to the library and I wanted to know more about all the, you know, I was a rock nerd. I wanted to know more about all the bands that, that we were listening to. And so I remember looking at all those, you know, the giant oversized books that you had to pull down off the shelf and looking through all the photos. And, and I was a pretty shy kid, um, but I really appreciated how, how out there all these artists were. Um, and, and we had a good time going to, going to all those shows at a young age. So Joe, one of the things that, um, Today, I, um, as we're recording this, I was on someone else's podcast mm -hmm. and um, he asked me, he said, well, this is pretty going to be, I, I think I know the answer to this, but what's the best concert you've ever went to? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I'm going to throw you a loop. I said, I absolutely could talk about Bruce seeing him. I was lucky enough to see him on Broadway you know, and the shows I've seen, but the two I would name just to mix things up is in the late seventies, Harry Chapin came to Lake Charles, Louisiana, and it was just him. His band did not make it. It was storming outside. And so it was just him and his guitar. And it felt like he played all night, oh, you know, cool. telling stories. And then um, Linda Ronstadt was touring with the Neville brothers and so I got to hear the Neville brothers open. And then this was right when her and Aaron Neville were doing duets. And then she came back, did a lot of her songs and then sang with Aaron. And that one, two punch of Linda Ronstadt, you know, I graduated high school in 77. So she was one of the, you know, my crushes, you know, yeah. like I loved her music and I loved, you know, you know, actually having a crush on her and then hearing the Neville Brothers, which is such a complex, lovely music from New Orleans was a really cool show. So that's kind of neat that you got to see Harry and you got to see CCR for at least a little bit. And I imagine there was a little bit of distinctive, you know, wacky tobacco, as they said, floating in the air. Yeah. And, and I should note that Linda Ronstadt and Pat Benatar were what my dad called back then, you know, his heartthrobs, as he ah, was saying. Yes. So we had a lot of, lot of both of their music in the house as well. That's sure. nice. So um, how about your mom? Did she, was she as passionate or? No, she, she, uh, she really wasn't. And uh, I know we'll talk more about, you know, uh, uh, why Bruce's music spoke to me and I'll speak a little bit more about her then, but this was really, this was really my dad's domain and, okay. uh, and my relationship with him. Yep. Did you go through a rebellious phrase phase when you started getting into high school and did you kind of rebel against your dad's music or did you just always, you may have added other bands into your, you know, quiver, but you always respected what he, you know, loved what he had. Um, no, I, I, uh, unfortunately, I wish I had been a little more rebellious. I might've had a much better time in high school than I did. Like I said, I was a little bit of a nerd. Um, yeah, lawyer, not surprising. Yeah. Um, 
No, I always really loved, you know, I always still listen to the classic rock stations, but you know, I'm that early MTV generation, top 40 in the eighties. Uh-huh. So I did listen to all that, that top 40 stuff. Um, but still always came back to that. I think to that classic, that classic rock and still, you know, seeing some of those bands through the years, even as I got older. Yeah. Um, definitely. And my dad and I, I remember we went to, you know, Stones concert, uh, Steel Wheels, I think it was. We would Huey Lewis in the News, Bob Seeger. I mean, we still, even into my teen years, went to all those shows. You know, Chicago obviously got a lot of those acts coming through. So, yeah, we definitely still kept up on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Um, where did you go to school? Where did you go to undergrad and then law school? Um, I went to Northwestern University outside of Chicago. Um, and then I actually... Uh, got a master's degree in history at the University of Oregon. And then I went back to University of Wisconsin-Madison for a law degree and uh, had always wanted to come back out to the Northwest. And so ended up back here. Soon as I graduated law school, got in the car and drove right out to Seattle. So I was, I was lucky to land. Yeah, I, I, that's great. I, I have, um, I've never visited that part of the country, though my brother-in-law and sister-in-law talk about how beautiful it is. They, they are always talking about this is where we need to go for a family vacation. It is incredibly beautiful. I will say, um, and I was talking about this with my friend uh, Suzanne, who I was with um, just in New York last week before, you know, for the Broadway show. It does make it a little harder to see a lot of shows. <laughs> yes. I mean, being out here for the last 20 years, um, you really have to work at it if you want to catch multiple shows in a tour. It's, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, um, you know, we're going to get to that in a minute, but it is um, similar, you know, in Dallas, Texas. Um, he doesn't always, you know, I mean, you would love that he would do Houston, Dallas and, you know, Austin, but he may do only one, you know, during a tour. And so uh, it's a little bit tougher to see. Um, so how did you discover Bruce? And if you can, can you tell me why he spoke to you? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's funny, you know, memory is a funny thing. Obviously things that are really important, you remember really well. And I just, I can picture it so clearly. I was, believe it or not, I was 12 years old. And I remember driving with my mom in her car and it was nighttime and we were headed into town and I'm on fire came on the radio. And it just, it just stopped, stopped me. You know, I was that little adolescent and I was like, who, who is this voice? What is this voice? He sounds like he's singing to me and, and what is he about? And I, I was just captivated by, um, by this song. And as I said, you know, I'm that early MTV generation. So right in that time, they were doing some big, you know, it was the big Born in the USA time and they were doing a big 24 hour or week long Bruce marathon. And I saw the dancing in the dark video and I realized it was the same person. And so I said, oh my gosh, who, who is that? So I remember I, I walked into town and I was like, well, I gotta get, I gotta get this Born in the USA record. And so I remember I got the Born in the USA record and the poster, you know, the jumping guitar, the classic jumping guitar poster. And um, I just put that on a cassette, you know, use my dad's stereo to put the record on a cassette. And I just started listening to it over and over and over again. And within a few months, I had gotten all his records. My dad had Born to Run and my brother had gotten Nebraska as a gift and had never opened it. And so I, I can't remember what I traded him for it, but I, I got that. And of course, right then I didn't have my own stereo. So I'd be in the family room with the giant black headphones on, just listening to the, the music over and over and over again. Um, and then eventually later that year, I did get my own stereo so I could be in, the, in my own room uh, with all his music. Um, and I think, I think what it was that really spoke to me, it felt like here is an adult speaking to me like an adult talking about adult things. And I grew up in a house um, that of course, now we know, especially with Bruce's autobiography, my mother was really like Bruce's father. 
And she had bipolar, un, undiagnosed, um, and then she became ill with cancer. And it was a very, very difficult relationship. And a lot of what Bruce has talked about with his relationship with his father over the years, on some level, I felt like here is a person who understands something about what I'm going through and my life and I don't know how. But also for me, and I've thought about this a lot over the years, what was so important in his music, it was like he was saying, okay, I understand things are really hard right now, but promise you, they will get better. And there will be days that will be better than whatever it is you're going through right now. And I think I desperately needed that message to feel understood that things were tough, but also the hope that, that yes, things would get better. And I think I've kept that as I know a lot of people have. Um, I just think I've kept that my whole life through his music. Yeah, with him. I, I totally agree. Um, Better Days is one of my favorite songs and uh, Land of Hope and Dreams, probably those two I would put as one and two of my favorite songs. And there there is that sense of hope and sense of, um, you know, that we can overcome this. Um, I, I, I love the connection of your mom and, and the similar to his father because um you know and when he's in his autobiography he was so open about the relationship with his father and how he was always seeking and, and, and searching and trying to figure out and um and independence day really spoke to me when i when i went to the river tour you know the second river tour and i and I saw this adult man who was probably older than his father was when he wrote Independence Day and the idea of that transition of he's now singing from the perspective of more of the father, but when he wrote it, it was from the son and that, you know, two people that desperately love each other, but just don't know how to say it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, there's sort of an, an irony when I was talking about you know, my mother was so, so difficult and unwell that for whatever reason, I wish I could ask her, she 100% supported me in my obsession with Bruce and, you know, um, didn't mind that my entire bedroom was covered floor to ceiling in posters and news articles. And she got up with me at four in the morning to go to the mall to get tickets for, you know, I remember it was in August uh, 1985 show was be my first, you know, the first show that I would see in the stadium show. And she got up and waited with me outside, you know, so I could get tickets because I was only 12 years old. She took me to Philadelphia to see him in Amnesty International, you know, for my 16th birthday. So she was, she was very supportive. It was, it was the one area I think in my life that she was really supported me in, in, in me being a fan. Um, I couldn't tell you why that was but um i'm i'm glad that she did i um yeah you you were you were nice enough to send me a photo of you know um joanna's teenage bedroom you know a shot and uh i will include that when i uh put out the episode um and it was you know wall to wall bruce um and i bet it would be interesting to ask her yeah. What what about that made you want to support me, right? Yeah. Um, I, I take it your mom has passed. Yes, uh, thirty years ago. Wow. So I was I was nineteen. I was her caretaker too. So wow, yeah, it's been a very been a very long long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is your dad gone? My my dad is still here. Um, he, he actually lives in Portland. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's funny. He, he does cartoons in his free time. And he actually recently gave me a gift of one that he drew of the two of us at the stones concert. Uh, oh, how fun. Well, yeah, it was really sweet. So we still, we still have that rock and roll connection, which is, <laughs> which is fun. That is awesome. That is so, so cool. Um, so I always like to preface this, 
Um, the amount of times you've seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are because of where you live, of your age, your economic situations. I have had people on the show that have never seen him, Mm -hmm. just have never had the experience. And I've had people that have had, you know, um, literally can't count, you know, they're from the Northeast. They found him early in the seventies and they have just, you know, gone to him, but do you count? Have you counted the amount of times you've seen him? I have. I think, you know, I used, I've used Bruce space to yeah, like just sure. double check. I'm probably somewhere around 70. Okay. I, and it's funny because it's common spurts. Like there've been a couple of tours where I've seen like 20 shows or 15 or 20 shows on a tour. And then others where I've only seen one, you know, when I first moved out here and I was really getting my career off the ground and it was, uh, or when I was in law school and it was the reunion tour and then I was out here and it was the rising and d- devils and dust. Um, you know, just, I was one-offs on all of those, you know, life, I was getting married sure. and you know, it was in my own. Um, but then I actually, so right after my mother passed, Human Touch and Lucky Town came out and I probably saw, you know, 20 shows over that the, over that year with a group of Chicago fans with the other band over. yes yep, with the yeah. other band yeah um and uh and then I I saw a lot in uh the magic tour okay going through some things in in my life and uh and had a friend and she and I went all over the country um Dallas and Houston as well um and then I've seen a lot you know since 2012 just tried to see as much as I can but uh, it is harder, you know, <laughs> you sure. cluster your shows where you can absolutely do some of the Northeast swings when I can. Yeah. Was your husband a fan? He was, uh, he was actually, it's funny. He was a huge Dylan fan. Okay. So he wooed me with his guitar and the Dylan songs. Um, oh, and he, nice. And, uh, came to appreciate Bruce a lot more. Yeah. He was a Dylan Tom Waits guy. Um, but definitely appreciated Bruce. Bruce came with me to uh, Devils and Dust. I mean, uh, yeah, the Devils and Dust in 05. No. Loved it, loved it. So he definitely, uh, uh, he could respect my my total uh, adoration. That's yeah. good. That's, that's, that's nice that that works through there. Yeah. Um, so I know you just recently went to Broadway and we want to talk about that, but before we get to Broadway, are there other stories from the road or concert stories you want to share? Oh gosh. I mean, it's, it's, I will just say that I have been so lucky. Um, You know, when I started, when I saw him sort of this upswing of my ability to see more shows in 07 on the magic tour, I remember going to Oakland and I saw all these people in line at this other door. And I was like, what's that other door? And that's when I heard about the pit, because I had no idea about what, what that even was. Um, and so then sort of the rest of the magic tour, my girlfriend and I, we got very lucky. And so I, I've been fortunate to be right up front for, for an awful lot of shows um, by sheer luck. And uh, uh I guess just two, two little quick stories that are fun. You know, people ask me sort of, you know, does he ever recognize you show to show? I get that a lot. And my answer is always um, no, because there's a lot of people who go to shows and um, you know, there's no reason he would remember me except, except um, when in 2008, uh, Dallas, I think it was Dallas and then Houston um, I was in the front row both nights and I was front and center on the first night and the second night, right as the opening strands to Atlantic City came on and the lights were coming up and he walked over and he's, well, you know, he's checking out the front row, seeing who's there and he saw me and his eyes got real big and he pointed at me and he said, you were in the hat last night. And I said, I was. <laughs> so that was like the one great moment that he remembered me from the night before being really into the show and uh and it was it was very cute that's awesome <laughs> that's great i take it you were wearing a hat the night before and you I weren't was. wearing a hat that night exactly but oh. i was i was also in the front row on the second night so 
that was uh, that was very cute. And then on my 44th birthday in 2016, the very last show of the tour, Gillette, mm-hmm. um, it was really sweet. We were very lucky. Uh, just a handful of us waiting outside the door for him to come in. And he was coming in his SUV and he stopped for to talk to us and say hi and look like he'd been having a little lunch, a little pizza on his face. Okay. And uh, shook people's hands. And that was a very nice birthday gift too. Yeah. Um, so had you seen the Broadway show the first time? I did in 2017. Okay. Um, and I'd been in the midst of some business travel and uh, was tired. And I remember I was like, gosh, I don't even remember the show that well. So I was glad to be able to go uh, a second time. Um, so talk about it. Talk about yeah. the experience seeing it the second time. And, you know, and uh, we were nice enough. Um, Ken Rosen joined me a few, you know, he compared, he was there opening night and he did a great article for Backstreets and he kind of shared with us the differences. So, but talk about the new show and your feelings. It felt like a completely uh, different experience. Part of it may have been was um, I was in the orchestra section this time. And so I was, I was, you know, just several rows away and very close. I think also we can all relate to um, just everything that's happened in the last year and a half. And um, I felt like I had, you know, sort of run this gauntlet to get on a plane, which I never thought I would do in the middle of the pandemic and, and fly all the way to, to, you know, to New York um, and to go to the show. Um, It just felt like a very emotionally intense event and of course, you know, we're all in our masks and we're following protocol and showing our vaccine cards. And so I think that definitely heightened, heightened the feeling. Um, and honestly, so a little bit of concern for Bruce. Yeah. You know, being out in front of all those people. And, you know, he did come out with his mask on and then take it off and thanked us for wearing our masks. But, you know, a little trepidation for, for him as well. Sure. Um, I think... Uh, he seemed to me to be very passionate and emotional, um, particularly in the second half of the show when he started really talking about the friends and his rock idols that he grew up with who, who perished in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we've had all the news this week out of Afghanistan and I think that seemed to be on his mind a little bit. Sure. Um, Absolutely. Just, he really took his time with, with those stories Um, and also about his mother. Um, I think for me personally, you know, having the add-on, I'll see you in my dreams. Um, As I mentioned in the beginning, I, you know, I lost my husband 10 years ago. And that song, of course, since it was released last year, um, really speaks to me in a very tender way. And I've appreciated over the years you know, his mantra of, you know, as long as we're here, they're here. Yes. And really speaking about the way we carry our ghosts yeah. of those we love. Um, and so that song was was just such a beautiful coda and um, quite emotional for me as well. Um, I just I just felt like he was very relaxed and very present. Um, and emotional too, mm-hmm. emotional too. Um, as I mentioned with the, with the Born USA. Oh, and um, 41 Shots. Yes. Just, I have to say, I've seen that song a bunch of times. This was by far to me, it felt the most connected to that song. Mm-hmm. Just a really beautiful rendition. Um, yeah, I've, I've often talked about that. I've quoted Land of Hope and Dreams at, um, a couple of funerals. I lost a really good friend and, uh, and I quoted at my father's funeral and I made the kind of halfway serious that I hope years from now, my son will quote it at my funeral. Right. Um, but I'll see you in my dreams kind of, I won't say overtook it, but you could see quoting that now at a service, right. And, um, and I, I had a, a lady on the podcast, uh, Kasama, who does, um, 
a bereavement podcast. She, um, you know, one of the things that I'm in is in a Facebook group that other podcasters and find a guest to be a guest, right? So, and I'm always saying, hey, if you want to join me to talk, if you want to talk about music and you want to promote your podcast, join me, you know? So Cassandra was talking about Bereavement Room Mm -hmm. and she specifically is from the UK. She's um, a um, Indian, you know, an Eastern descent. And she specifically trying to deal grief with people that are not Anglo-Saxon, Episcopalian, Christian, you know, things. And absolutely lovely person. We had a great time. And at the end, I mentioned, um, you might like Letter to You, you know. And so I sent her the link. And like two days later, she emailed me. She goes, oh, my gosh, this album is all about grief. Mm -hmm. Can I come back on the podcast and just talk about that? And um, and and she she knew nothing about it. She didn't watch the documentary. She didn't read anything. She just listened to the album. And then she joined me and she talked about, well, tell me more stories, because it's just very clear he's dealing with grief in this album. And um, so I have been very open, Joe, that um, because of 2020 and the political upheave and all the people we lost in COVID that I, I, I said slightly tongue in cheek, but also more serious than I probably if I got a new president in November and a new Springsteen album before the end of the year, perhaps 2020 won't be the shittiest year ever, you know? And, um, and when you think about, I, I, I still, I, I, I get choked up. How did he know we needed letter Mm -hmm. to you when it came out? I mean, how do you know that? And, and he did. I just think it's amazing. And I see you nodding your head. So please take, a, I didn't really ask you a question. Just share, please. Oh, I, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about, you know, how beautifully and openly, of course, you know, in his autobiography, it's really intensely beautiful. And in his songs, he really does speak eloquently about grief. Yes. In a way that you don't think in commercial music. Right. Is, is particularly common um and you know you know whether it's my mother or or my husband you know you really look to those songs that that comfort you again recognize those feelings and also give you hope um i think i also go back to terry's song yes which reminds me of my husband a lot and so i i i know i played that song over and over and over again, you know, when they built you brother, they broke the mold. You know, he was very much that kind of a guy. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think he just, I think Bruce is not unique necessarily, but just very eloquent about grief. Yeah. Um, So there, I have a, I have a friend named Sarah Hickman and um, she is a singer songwriter in um, she lives in Austin and um, I will send you a link to a song she wrote uh, called take me with you. And it was specifically about her grandparents. And when her grandmother passed, her grandfather was basically waiting to go, you know, um, take me with you when you go. And, uh, And the, and I had lost my grandfather, I've lost my grandmother and my grandfather was still there. And so I would have happy tears because I knew, I knew while he was sad, he was, you know, trying to not, you know, trying to get through life together, you know, and, and I can, I I can only imagine the grief of losing someone so young like your husband you know because 
we'll walk together, right? I'll, you know, wait for me. I mean, that's right. That's, that's the plan. And uh, as my wife says, don't you leave me holding the bag, old man, right? <laughs> so um, I, I, I can only imagine, and I love your sense of hope and your, your you know, your, you discovering this new passion and, and making a wonderful life for yourself. But I imagine Letter to You must have really like, holy moly, this is, it's speaking to me. It's, you know, I, I appreciate you. We said, you know, that I, I've created this new life and there's hope and that's, you know, I wouldn't want to fool anybody. You know, it's been 10 years this year. Yeah. The first, the first five years were very touch and go. Yeah. I don't think would be a surprise to, to anybody. Um, yeah. And, and I, and I, I will say, I'm, you know, he, um, he did take, you know, he took his own life. He was a veteran who took his own life. I am so sorry to hear that. Thank you. And, um, you know, that's for anyone who's experienced the the suicide of a loved one. um, You know, it is, it's, it's extremely painful and it's a particular kind of grief um, and a particular kind of mourning. It's wrapped up with a whole lot of, a whole lot of other feelings. Um, And, you know, you, you, turned to a lot of things. I turned to photography. Um, and then of course to, to Bruce's music and yeah. yet, you know, letter to you, it is all over letter to you. And I'll see you in my dreams. Of course, I have a few other friends who are also widows and we talk about those visitation dreams that we get. So there is a very yeah. literal component, um, to that. So, you know, I, I, I did cry during that, during that performance for sure, because it really is, um, you know, he is voicing that deepest part of you that is that wish fulfillment, um, you know, to, to be close to the person again that you loved most in the entire world and dreams are what you have. Yeah, I, um, there was a time several years ago where, um, I was laid off from a job, I think unfairly, but obviously I'm going to think it's unfairly. And it took me nine months to find another job. And at that nine months, I listened to Better Days and Land of Open Dreams. And I, I tried to have faith and I, I tried to, you know, fake it till you make it. And so got a job. Then a year later, got a better job. And then when things were going poorly at my new job, you know, I honestly told Linda, I can't do this again. I'm telling you now, I can't go through that again. And Linda's like, okay, we're getting you to the doctor right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I hear you. Mm-hmm. I understand why you feel that way, but we're going to the doctor tomorrow, you know? And, um, and it, I, and so when, I hear people talking about it that just tell them to cheer up or (laughs) they should talk to someone or, you know, well, you know, that's a, a temporary, you know, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And, um, and, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine and he says, are you serious? I'm like, yes, Sam. Like, he says, you know, you can't do that. I said, I understand that. I'm just telling you, my gut instinct right now is this, and um, I, it, it's, it's, it's got to be a complicated relationship, and I don't, don't want to get too serious to you, but I, I feel for you, and I understand that you've got to have a little bit of sadness, a little bit of anger, and, and a little bit of, you've had to forgive, right? You've had to go through that process. You know, it's, it's interesting. And I do have, I've met through, I've, I've actually do a lot of suicide prevention work now, perhaps not surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw that in your Twitter binder that you yeah. are an advocate. Yes. Then, and good for you. Thank you. And so I've met a lot of folks and, and what I've come to understand is it's really, it's really interesting to me how everybody's experience as someone who's, who's lost someone to suicide, as well as the person who took their own life, their experiences are so different. Yes. And I think for me, 
really just my overwhelming sense, you know, these last 10 years is just, just sadness for him. And, and just my grief that I couldn't, I couldn't help him. Um, And he really was just a a tremendous person and a lot of fun and um, just a really loving, extremely intelligent guy. And um, I know we, we talk now, even in the last 10 years, we talk so much more about uh, veterans and mental health. Um, And, you know, there are so many more resources out there, particularly um, those, those peer run veteran run, uh, organizations that really do a lot of work that just weren't around when he was struggling. Um, but thank you for, yeah. And thank you for sharing your story because, um, it really is, it's, it's a difficult situation for everybody, both those who love someone who's struggling and then for those of us who struggle. Yeah. And I, um, I, it, it is such is such I, I think the work you're doing is really really powerful because this is there isn't an, a simple solution and I often f- get frustrated that my father was a military and he my my mom said he came back from Vietnam different mm-hmm. he was never the same and um and was died you know um, alone in a s- apartment in Kentucky. He, he knew he was ill. He knew he was close to the end of his life. And my mom and sister came up and visit him and he sent him home. I, I don't want you here, you know? And, um, and, and I, you, you wonder the, and, and I think, to Bruce's credit, you know, I thought one of the most powerful moments in Broadway was when he, I've never been a fan of the bluesy born in the USA, like on track. I'm like, I'm skipping that one. I don't need that one. But when he played it there yes. and he talked about, I wonder who went in my place. Mm-hmm. And when you know the story of how much he has done to help veterans, you know, uh, Vietnam veterans or any kind of veterans um, speaks a lot. And there is, and then we'll get to a happier subject. It, it does not feel like we do enough as, a, as in, for our government or society with our vets. It is, um, and, and like with Afghanistan and going on, you know, I, I know there has to be a sense, and I've read that of people feeling what did I do this for? Because now then, you know, every the regime is collapsed and everything. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a tough time. It, it is tough. Um, and a lot of what I hear is, uh, you know, they talk about we were there for each other and for the people yeah. that we could help. Um, I do think the, the tone for me, if I'm remembering from the Broadway show this time, when he was doing the intro before Born USA was he was really thinking about these individuals who he admired, who were real living people who existed and had lives that were taken from them and just a reverence for that. Um, and the backdrop of everything that's been going on, just really humanizing that war really is about taking the lives of individual people who were living and breathing and that it really is a huge sacrifice that we need yeah. to really think about and think hard about. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, so yes. deep changing subject, yes. favorite songs, albums, are there, you've kind of shared a little bit, um, you know, let's, I, my audience is going, okay, Jesse, we're, we appreciate the sharing of emotions. <laughs> like we're, we're, we're going to, well, it, it, uh, I, 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 this is not an exaggeration, Joe. Um, the first time I, I begged my wife to watch the Netflix Broadway show with me, right? Oh, I just really want you to share it with me, you know? So she gets to the part where he's just talking about his dad and she's like, okay, 
turn this off. I am ready. This is so, I have never been more depressed. I cannot continue <laughs> watching this another moment. And then, you know, two minutes later, Bruce says, okay, I'm getting you, I'm getting you off on suicide watch now. Right, we're going to cheer right, things right. up. Right. So when we're Father's Day, I warned her. I said, okay, we're going to watch this. I need you to just go five more minutes after you think you can't go anymore. And then when he talks about her mom and everything and she, she loved it, but I just, it was so true. It's like, okay. So um, there, yeah. there is a lot of seriousness in the show. There is. And a lot of humor. Yes. It, yes. But it is, but there is a lot of seriousness. All right. Songs that oh, you have, that you've gone to that, you know, to help celebrate and, and to bring you comfort and, and joy. Yeah, well, I mean, just in terms of like favorite, you know, just favorites. Well, it's so cliche, you know, the darkness era, all those songs, all my all my bootleg tapes that I used to buy at the, you know, at the Holiday Inn uh, record swap shows, you know, all those old grainy videotapes. Um, so that was definitely the era that felt like the most exciting to me. And, and that record just over and over and over again, Racing in the Street, the fast version. When I had that on bootleg for years, that was my all-time, all-time favorites. I, I will say Western Stars um, is just to me an absolute masterpiece. I mean, so I, you know, you talk about what, 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 what would I love to hear live? I wish we had gotten, you know, some live show, the video, the movie was nice. It was. But, but um, the, the, the lyrics and the music are just, I mean, just spellbinding. It's just a gorgeous it, piece of work. You would have loved to see like a Devils and Dust tour and, you know, in a small venue, you know, in small venues where they played that. Um, I am thrilled we got the, uh, the film and um, um, tease um, the the husband and wife who own my podcast network, Rob and Martha are not Springsteen fans. They don't dislike Bruce. They're just their Wilco is their band that they love the most. And uh, coming up in September is my sixth anniversary of doing set lusting Bruce. And um, Rob and Martha said, you know, Hey, we want to participate. Do you have any ideas? And I said, well, have you ever watched Western stars? And they go, no, what's that? And I go, it's an album that Bruce did. And then he did a live, you know, concert. They recorded it. And in between songs, there's little snippets of him talking about the songs and talking about his life. And they said, Oh, okay. So they're going to watch the film as a non Springsteen fan and then join me on the podcast to discuss it not only just the music, but the film itself. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Be fun. That's, yeah. That's, that's yeah. Great. So, yeah, I mean, except for Letter to You and um, Western Stars, right? What are other songs that you may be chasing? Oh, what haven't I heard? You know, I mean, I'm, I've just been so lucky. I mean, I, one that I, I just wanted so much was None But the Brave. And I got that on the Magic, I think it was the Magic Tour, he played it in Vancouver or Seattle for Eddie Vedder. I can't remember. I can't remember which. So that was one I was chasing for a long time. Uh, I think I did get Loose Ends once. Okay. Um, I think I've really, I've been so fortunate. In terms That's of, awesome. That's great. Of I know we got um, at the Gillette show, uh, you know, we had, you know, the songs off Wild and Innocent that he played. Um Oh gosh, I've just, I'm trying to think. So yeah, I mean, so obviously one's off letter to you. I'd really love to hear those. I think I've pretty, you know, I've, like I said, I've been so lucky. He's pulled out so many crazy, especially in the 08 tour and the magic yeah. tour. Yes. Really pulling out. Yeah, that would, whole, yeah, I agree. Just so many of the oldies and, and I, so I turned a ton on, on, on that, but um you know, racing is always, always really beautiful, beautiful versions of that. Oh yeah, it's it's it is just something special. Um, the, um, I got to think you'd love to, to film Jessica. 
Oh. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure, you know, like, hey, you know. It's like, you know, it's, it is funny because um, I do see a lot of the equestrian photographers, you know, who are down in Florida. Um, I've followed the photographers who've done, you know, who've done fashion shoots for her. Um, you know, wouldn't it be nice to be at that level of photography and, uh, and, and capture her? I'm very excited for her. Um, as someone who does, you know, have a have a glance at the equestrian world, um, it, to 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 ride horses and jump at the level that she is at, the the bravery, the strength, the athleticism, uh, it's you got to be made of really stern stuff. That is a dangerous, hard, hard sport. So I'm just very, really happy for her and the whole whole American team. Just really amazing. Yeah. Um- you know, I was, we were talking about that and someone had said, you know, you think of like, well, most of it's the horse, right? But then when you see the horse not jump, you know, the rider couldn't, you know, and they're, so they're disqualified yeah. and to silver is amazing, but by, mm-hmm. by just seconds missing out on gold um i did love the someone on facebook said is there another family that has collectively grammys you know tony's an oscar an olympic medal an olympic medal you know how many how many families can be able to do that so really just an amazing uh, amazing performance uh yeah just i mean obviously a talented talented horse but you have to be really a talented writer um and and again it is a dangerous sport and there's a lot of skill involved so yeah that's gotta be yeah for sure um so Joanna, is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't? Oh. We haven't talked much about your photography. Oh, so. that's, that's, that's okay. I can give my, if anybody is uh, Please. interested. Um, uh, I'm a, on Twitter. I'm at Joe Arlo Photo. Uh, and uh, actually, excuse me, Twitter is Joe Arlo. And then Joe Arlo photo is my Instagram. Um, uh, and uh, my website's Joe Arlo photography. Um, I do photograph a lot of aerialists and a lot of other fun kind of offbeat athletes. I did a lot of MMA and uh, uh, like I said, roller derby and kind of just a lot of local people doing some, some fun stuff. So. I think that is just, um, I love people who reinvent themselves that have a new career. Like I've, I've had, you know, I'm a former attorney and now then I teach school, you know? And, and so I think there is a uh, beauty to finding a passion and doing something about it. So good for you. Uh, that is great. Um, all right. Before I ask you the Mary question, Yes. Um, so, um, if you are, um, a friend of Joe's and you're listening to this, I hope you enjoyed the podcast and, um, you, I know you're, if you are friends of her, you know about her Springsteen obsession, but I hope you will go back and check other episodes. Um, cause we have some wonderful talks on here. Um, uh, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher, uh, recently retired from the Philadelphia area. And he used to every year, his seniors would spend two days breaking apart the song Thunder Road. They would look at all the lyrics. They would talk about the imagery. They would talk about Robert Frost comparing um, his poems and other poets. And at the end of it, the question is, does Mary get in the car? So, Joe, that is your question. Mm-hmm. Does Mary get in the car? Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, and I think, I think, you know, part of the reason I think that is I, I you know, for me, I've always wanted to get in the car and yeah, get me the heck out of here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, of course, growing up, I was there was no question in my mind. Of course, she gets in the car. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get the heck out of there. Absolutely. And I think also, yeah, I'm, I'm a believer in 
in true love and taking a chance and seeing where the road takes you. So um, I think that's kind of how my life has been. And uh, you got you have to take chances in life. Absolutely. I, I love that answer. Very, very nice. Um, any final thoughts you want to share? Um, I, I'm just, thanks for having me on. Oh, I just do want to give a shout out. Um, I just have met so many great people over the years from the time, again, I was so young, uh, to, you know, recently, um, like I mentioned, you did a great interview with Suzanne a few months ago. Um, she's someone who I met in 2016 at the Gillette show and she and I are great friends now. Bruce people are the best people. And um, just truly just what a great time it's been to literally have all my, pretty much my entire life as a sentient person and having Bruce and his music and my fellow Bruce travelers in it. Um, it's just, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. And I just really appreciate how great everybody is and what a great community is. So thank you for having me on. Well, I love it. Um... You know, he talks about being a companion on the journey, and he truly is. Um, I also feel, and I'm biased, but I don't know. I don't know if I could have done 700 over 700 episodes about another fandom. I mean, there is something about Bruce Springsteen fans, and and I I have other people join me that have love other bands and other musicians. And I always enjoy that conversation, but there is just something about the, the Bruce and his magic and, and he, he brings us together. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this was a blast. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I hope you had as much fun as I did sharing with you. Um, listeners, please go get vaccinated. Um, till then, wear your mask, uh, even after vaccinated, wear your mask. Let's remember to social distance, wash your hands. Let's get this variant out of our world. We need a tour in 2021. We need things to get back to normal. And the only way we're going to do that is by looking after each other. So Joe, thank you so much for your time. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one-way conversation, and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlessingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter, at SetLustingBruce, and my personal Twitter is at DFW. We have a website, www.SetLustingBruce.com. From there, you can find links to other Springsteen podcasts, as well as other music-themed podcasts. We have a page devoted to our own SLB All-Star Band. These are guests who have been on the podcast more than three times. There is a link to our store where you can purchase Set Lessing Bruce shirts, as well as a Mary Question t-shirt. There is a link to our Patreon page where you can sign up to help support the podcast financially. We have different levels and different rewards based on your support. If you don't have any extra cash, and right now who does, you can support the podcast by subscribing via your favorite podcast player and leaving us a review. The more reviews we have, the easier it is for people to find us. And please tell a friend about the podcast, especially if they love Bruce or music, because it will make a difference. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one the only set listening Bruce. The theme for set listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.